the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Bible Live, the quiz show, the opportunity to answer some questions about uh, the scriptures, where we are in our uh, annual trek through the good book and we are now tonight finishing up this incredible book of isaiah this remarkable prophet uh he prophesied over the space of about 60 years six decades uh, under the reign of a number of different kings of judah and we have been walking through his story from uh early in isaiah when his calling to ministry he was uh, as you know, the big, the famous chapter 6 of Isaiah, where uh, he, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord in, the, in this temple, high and lifted up and so on. And God said, who will go for us? Who will speak for us? And he says, here am I, send me. You remember that wonderful chapter, tremendous, beautiful chapter of the scriptures, uh, retelling the story of Isaiah's call to ministry. And we picked up from there and just followed his time through the scriptures now tonight jacob is with us but he's with us by telephone a very good friend of ours a friend of the broadcast has uh had an accident and broken uh her arm in two places and jacob has gone down to uh console and comfort and help out and uh to be with our friend but also uh he is calling in from south texas this evening and so we'll Make sure to greet him and get him on the air with us. Are, are you are you with me there, Jacob? Already now? 
I am with you. I, if John loves me so, I'm with you. <laughs> he controls everything, doesn't he? That's a, it's a terrible feeling. <laughs> we, and, and actually, you're 100% right. Uh, there was an accident. She has a couple of dogs. She has one that's pretty old. In fact, I believe in dog years, it's 137 or something. I don't know. Anyway, so somehow there's an accident involving the dog. Tammy hit the sidewalk, broke her arm in two places. And so I came down to help her out with her dogs. But so far, I've watched for signs, but I have not seen any sign of repentance by the dog. <laughs> well, we need to keep our eyes open for that, and we'll all be in prayer uh, that uh, the dog does come around to at least a... a uh, a, a feeling of, of of holy sorrow, at least for for what has happened. I, that is uh, that is terrible. And you know, it did make me think, Jacob. But we were I, I was talking this morning as we were visiting and teaching at our class there at Lackland with the basic trainees of uh, of uh, the school. We're up over two thousand this morning. Over two thousand two hundred young men and women who came through our Bible studies. Uh, 34 classes in three hours. It, it was a, quite an ordeal, but quite a, an operation. But I was talking to a group of them. We were discussing why is it, do you think, that God leaves us here on planet Earth after we've come uh, to to know him, after we've been reconciled to God, uh, you know, as we, at least as we believe that by our faith and trust in Jesus, the Messiah, the redemptive work of God, that we are made right with him and we can enjoy a relationship with God throughout our life and on into eternity. Sometimes you, I think at some point we all, every believer asks themselves, Lord, why do you leave me here? Why don't, why don't you just bring us on home to glory and we'll be with you? And, and we were talking about why, you know, why does God not just beam us up? You know, the moment we uh, become a Christian or become right with God, made right with God. And uh, we were talking about the idea of, uh, why does he leave us here? And part of it was because uh, of our unique, one of the folks mentioned, what, it was because of our unique uh, our unique opportunity to display the grace and goodness and power of God in our lives as believers. Because even though we're here and even though we've been made right with God, through we believe, through by faith, through the work of Jesus, uh, the Messiah, we still have the same problems. We still fall and break our arm in two places. We still have disappointments. We still lose loved ones, and we still have illnesses. We still have disappointments in life, and and, and uh, things go wrong in our careers. And so, uh, but the difference is how we experience those. If we are walking with God and experiencing His presence, there should be a difference in the way we experience the hard, we experience the hardships and difficulties of life. Uh, we should be able to go th- through them with courage, with grace, uh, with, with uh, patience. Uh, and anyway, we just it, it was on our we talked about it to some extent this morning in the class that uh, maybe one of the reasons we're here is that uh, we give a, a very special uh, we give a very special witness by the way we take and receive life from the hand of God. Uh, the good and the bad, the ups and the downs, and uh, so may I don't know. Maybe as uh, we could comfort Tammy a little bit with those words that you know, as a child of God, uh, we can take those things, these difficulties, these trials, 
with faith and uh, turn them into a, an opportunity of joy and of of uh, positive influence for the cause of uh, God's kingdom. So anyway, it just it was just on my mind. I'm not trying to preach a sermon at our our sister. I'm not sure I would do any any better. I not that she's done badly. She seems to have taken it uh, with with uh, grace and with a. You know, a good heart. How, how is she feeling? Is she all right? Actually, yeah, she's doing well. Uh, they're gonna, she, they're going to put a. I guess she's going to have some minor surgery and mm. put a pin in her arm uh, sometime this next week. So I see. So is she wearing a cast? Uh, she's wearing what they call a half cast with the bandage. You know, the elastic bandage wrapped around her forearm. I see. Uh, about halfway up her top part Brian. nothing she could hit you with yet though right you're not in terrible well I, no she's never she's never been at a loss for that so she didn't need that <laughs> that's great well listen i'm glad you're there hey, could i add one interesting moment please do oh thank you so much uh you know you're talking uh, with your church groups and everybody knows you do the uh the ministry out of the military bases around here, and that's an important thing. And I know you talk to thousands of people on a Sunday, mm. and you and all your group, and but and you were talking about the subject that seems very interesting about why would God leave us here? Well, would you like to hear a different little thought? I certainly would. That's why we pay you I, the big bucks. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that'll be a dollar twenty-nine coming up. <laughs> With uh, tax, it, right? With tax deductible. Well, no, we'll do it in cash. The government will never know. They'll never know. No. Okay. Uh, okay, so here's what we got. Here's an interesting thought. Why? Do you remember when uh, God separated light and dark and evil and good and bad and all that kind of yes. stuff at the very beginning of Genesis? Well, so he didn't, he separated them, but how does he overcome all the evil or the darkness? Well, one way he does it is in the the ancient Jewish thought is this, is that you fill this world with, uh, your, you might say, good deeds, mitzvah in, mitzvah. in the Hebrew, mm-hmm. of course, uh, or you do bad. And so the more you do, you're bringing in God's word into the darkness, the more light you bring. So that way it will eradicate all of the um, the evil in the world. And so... Now, I might choose to do it different. I have this, always have this picture. Remember the old commercial they used to show on TV about uh, the little toilet bowl cleaners they dump in there and all these little things brush up the toilet yeah, inside. All the these bowl. little things, those little yeah. little brushes, right, or something like that. Yeah. Well, that's the image I come up with in my head. So the idea is you put a group of people down here and you say, look, I want, this is my chosen method. I give you these things to bring God's ways of doing things into this darkness. And when you do it, by doing the right things, you bring the light of God into the darkness. I separated them, and now I'm cleaning up the, you might say, toilet bowl. So it's that kind of idea. So it's a fascinating idea. <laughs> yes, it and, is. Uh, it really is. And I, and I like it. And I, I, I think there's some imagery there that, that uh, clearly there's some biblical imagery in that, that we are here to uh, uh, clean up the world in a way. We're salt. We are light and that sort of thing. God's people are. And so I, I agree 100. percent It's a, it, it's an interesting perspective too that that uh, that we we go through the good, the bad, and the evil. It's not like a a bullet turns into a marshmallow just because it's headed for a believer, you know, or just because it's headed toward an innocent child. Uh, we live in a world that is it's messy. 
Uh, just like the Bible. If you read the Bible, some people read the Bible and they think, uh, well, it's just going to be all idealistic and there's everything kind of everybody lives happily ever after and so on. And yes, there is the end of the book and we do end up hap- living happily ever after with our God, with God's people together with him. But meanwhile, we live in this world where good and evil coexist and we live in a world, a closed system, essentially, where good and evil uh, do exist, and it's ruled only by morally neutral, natural law. And like I said, uh, good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people uh, in this world. And we have this unique opportunity to live out by faith the goodness, the grace, the mercy of God. And, and it gives, I think there is a special witness, there's a special power uh, when God's people walk in obedience and faith to the Lord and trusting. The way we approach, uh, oh, hardships, difficulties of all kinds, persecution. I, oh, I was just this week, Jacob, thinking of our, our uh, uh, fellow believers all around the planet. So many today in, these, in this era living in danger. Uh, I was reading about believers. Actually, there are a great number of believers in North Korea uh, in these times, and they are under persecution. They're often um, even killed because of their faith and so on. And, and uh, it, it's astounding to me that people will still walk with God. They will still choose to know and love God and follow him, even with the terrible difficulties they face uh, at times in our world today. It just, um, it really leaves me with a sense of uh, uh, unworthiness, you know, to, uh, you know, sometimes the courage and the faith that Men and women show, let's say, in Iraq, Iran, and in other parts of the world where they're often persecuted for their faith or suffer. It, it, it kind of overwhelms me at times what they have to go through to walk with the Lord. And, uh, you know, in this, this past week, we had a, an incident, uh, several incidents of, of uh, terror and killing and so on. Uh, and uh, our prayers have gone out to the people of Spain and Barcelona. We used to live in Barcelona for many years in uh, our family did. We know that part of the world, and uh, we walked in the Ramblas of Catalunya, where the bomb—well, not the bomb, but the car uh, terrorists—use his vehicle to do damage to people, and so on. And and it just breaks our hearts that 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 kind of has to happen. But but God's people are in the mix, and uh, we're in touch with some of our staff from crew over in that part of the world, and they're working hard to minister in that situation and to bring hope and and to bring uh, you know goodwill and, and healing uh, in, in the midst of that suffering. Uh, it's it's a unique witness that God's people can have when uh, in, in the darkness, like you say, if we will shine and let our light shine, if we will be salt and preservative and, and, and a, a purative uh, influence on the world, it really is. Well, we're, we're talking about Isaiah. I don't know. Would Isaiah be one that we could uh, point to in the same spirit? He was a guy who lived and ministered through very difficult times, uh, in uh, particularly in Judah in the south. Uh, he went through very difficult uh, experiences. Uh, Jeremiah, after him, is called the weeping prophet because he, too, suffered a great deal. Uh, these prophets, they took it on the chin quite often. They, uh, they had to stand up and confront political powers and military powers and so on with, with the truth of God's word. And uh, how courageous and how amazing they were as a group. What can you tell us about Isaiah? I think he is, he is considered to be one of the 
the greater, or if not the greatest, of the prophets in the scriptures. Is that not? Is, isn't that right? Or and tell us a little bit more what you what is felt, what is thought about the prophet Isaiah from the Hebrew perspective. Well, okay. First of all, there are uh, many, many other prophets that really never were included in the Bible because their prophecies were fulfilled. In fact, there's a spot in Isaiah tonight when that I had marked that I was going to mention a little bit later, where he says, hey, every prophecy I've told you up to this point, they were all fulfilled. So you think, oh, so there was things fulfilled. And there are things that we see fulfilled. The ones like Isaiah that is still in the Bible, still extant, is because those prophecies have yet to be fulfilled. So that is actually the, the barometer of how things were chosen to go into the Bible originally, by the Jews anyway. Mm-hmm. And so Isaiah certainly ends up in some very bad situations. And, of course, Israel, Judah, as you say, goes through some very bad situations. But he also ends on a note of hope. And he brings it back, because one of the things we'll look at tonight, I hope, is uh, where you talk about all this bad stuff has happened. And the question is, why? And as you and I have talked about before, uh, some of the chapters, like, you know, chapter 53, uh, many, uh, I think all Christians, as far as I know, and I think a good number of Jews think that certainly is about the Messiah. And, but as we talked about, sometimes the qualities, the characteristics of the Messiah are actually established by the stories of Israel and the prophets, whatever, so we know yeah. what to expect when we see him. Because if we see him and say, well, what, who are you? What is this? If we, are, if we learn his qualities and characteristics, then we can see them, we can match them up. And Isaiah gives a lot of those qualities. But Isaiah, in fact, in... Um, uh, in uh, just as a quick reference, in 43, 9, and 10, it's, that's a section about the ingathering later of all the exiles. Uh-huh. And uh, and it's uh, as a lady I know, uh, she's called into the show a few times, and she has valuable things to say. Her name is Esther. She, uh, she always likes the term, and I kind of like the term, uh, Israel was a visual aid nation. Well, if it's a visual aid nation, then it's demonstrating that something will be not only for other people, perhaps, but actually the qualities of the Messiah we should come to expect. And there's actually a reference to that that it says in 43.9.10 that it says the the witnesses and the other people will witness all these characteristics. So as we go through Jeremiah, we see some very bad things happen. Mm. But they, they, they do get conquered, they get led away, but in a very real sense, they resurrect. And now, so let me, when let they me read those them. verses. They are very interesting, and, I, and probably they are. Uh, they may be definitive in the sense of uh, kind of outlining, uh, kind of what I talk about said earlier about God's people, all of us as God's people, uh, all over the world, and so on. That we are uh, we are being used of God in the same way. Essentially, I, I agree with that idea of Israel. Uh, the the people group of uh, the uh, sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God did covenant to use them as an example and to use them I- I- in a way to bring Messiah into our world and also to uh, be a picture of God's dealings 
with his people. And we say, yeah, you're right. There are ups and downs. There are difficulties. They live in a real world. They go through. Uh, they are invaded. They are attacked. Uh, they are placed in bondage. And they go through these difficulties as well, uh, the ups and downs. And we're reading through that in the Hebrew Scriptures. And they're a picture of uh, God's dealings universe with, with his people, with with spiritual Israel, all the people of God. That, that's a beautiful picture, I think. Those passages say, bring out the people's, the people who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf, deaf cannot hear. And then he says, gather the nations together, assemble the peoples of the world. Which of their idols has ever foretold such things? You know, the idea of pro- prophecies that are given, predictions. Which can predict what will happen tomorrow? Where are the witnesses of such predictions? Who can verify that they spoke the truth? But you are my witness, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. Wow, what a, ah. wow that is a great picture that you paint there of the role of uh, Israel in the Hebrew Scriptures there, the, the, this people group that God used, to, and as a picture of even today, what we're supposed yeah. to be, right? Exactly, because the truth is, Israel is made up not of just Jews. Uh-huh. It's made up of all God-fearing people that obey God and do carry out God's will and treat people like they should be treated and treat God like he should be treated and believe in the monotheistic God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there's no, there's actually no priority given to Jews. It's all people. It's in about fact, people who trust, not, in, trust in him, right, and demonstrate that, their trust by obeying him. Sure. Yes. And as we go through this story, <clears throat> so pardon me, so as we go through this story, we see this happening, and then we see the, the famous chapters 52, 53, that talks about the suffering servant. Now, many of the Jewish uh, sages throughout the ages have always said, hey, that's referring to the Messiah, and I think all Christians do too. Uh-huh. And it's also the suffering servant in a visual aid idea. Yes. Israel's going through this. Yes. And so they're demonstrating the characteristic. And so it certainly could apply yes. to uh, the Messiah, Jesus, uh, as Christians would think, or uh, the Jews. It may be Jesus for the Jews, but I'm going to be the first one to ask the question, hey, were you here before? And then he comes. <laughs> but, but, but the point is, and so we got this whole story coming, and it ends on a very hopeful note that everybody's going to be rescued. And, and uh, I don't know if you want to get into it, but there is a couple of questions. I know you want to do a couple, but there's one in particular that you've got on your list that actually leads into something very interesting in Chapter 53 and then in the 56. So uh, that probably will answer some of those, those things we're talking about. What question was it, Jacob? Uh, actually... It is your question, 15 and 16. They actually tie in together. I had circled 15 myself, so that's great. Let me just put that well, question out there just in case some folks like to call in and, and, uh, and uh, you know, kind of give us an answer and give it their perspective of it. A uh, question about the, the book of Isaiah. We're studying chapters 40 through 63. This is almost through the end of the book, 40 through 63. Uh, the book of Isaiah, in the times of Jesus, it says, in the times of Jesus, most Jews were expecting, now I don't know if that's true, you can tell us a historical perspective of that, or at least uh, would it say most uh, practicing, most uh, uh, faithful Jews 
were expecting and hoping for a conquering king, someone that yeah. would deliver them from yeah, uh, the oppression of Rome. Yeah, certainly, and I'm going to ask you to put on your seatbelt right now. Are you ready? You want me to finish the question? I do. Thank you. I'll just wait. How about okay. that? <laughs> Most Jews were expecting a conquering king, but according to Isaiah, especially chapter 53, they should have also been looking for a suffering <laughs> what? And you kind of already answered it, but we'll put it out there. They should have also okay. been listening, looking for not only a conquering king, but a suffering what? And you, you can answer the question. Give us a call, 340-9585. You should be able to do it because I think Jacob just said the answer a few minutes ago. But go ahead, Jacob, and talk about that question. Well, it's this, is that you see sometimes in these prophecies like Isaiah, let's say, well, what happens is, is that we may get a picture that it's a finality picture as opposed to an interim picture. Yes. And so the suffering servant, as you're referencing in your, uh, well, I, that's not the suffering somebody oh. in your question. Uh, okay, that may be, uh, goes on and goes on, would certainly went on with the nation of Israel, and it presented into the, introduced the uh, quality of the suffering into the world, so where you could see that there would be a quality that comes with the Messiah, absolutely. Now, the catch is, did they expect a conquering uh, king like David? And the answer is yes. Now I'm going to tell you what I mean. Okay. In the in the New Testament, in the Bible, um, in the Christian scriptures, in the book of Revelation, that's what you get. So if we read this and say, oh, well, they're expecting that they were wrong, uh, it, it was just uh, uh, the intermediate picture of Jesus suffering, resurrecting, that, that's fine. But that's not the end of the book. We're still here. We're still waiting for things. Mm-hmm. The picture that is in the Christian scriptures in the book of Revelation about the last, last days and what's going to happen, that is the picture that the Jews have been expecting. So there is a similarity and a companionship of the two thoughts. Yes, there certainly is. Uh, I think more than we realize there is. And, and of course, I think what you've just brought out is help us to see that the there is another perspective of, you know, the great chapter 53, 54, chapter 61 uh, that Jesus read uh, in his hometown of Nazareth. Uh, these these chapters now, just for an overview of the book of Isaiah, uh, that our listeners may appreciate. Uh, I, I like Isaiah. There's 66 chapters in the book, and there are 66 books in the Bible, and there are 39 chapters that deal with uh, the pronouncement of God's judgment, the warnings uh, to seek God and walk in obedience to Him and His His commands, and so on. Chapters one through 39. Every word of it. The, the the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call what we call the Old Testament, not in any uh, it's not a, a term of, of disrespect or lack of respect for the Hebrew Scriptures. It's the Word of God, just as clearly the Word of God is the New Testament. But it is uh, it, it's in that era pre messianic. And then you have chapters starting at chapter forty through sixty six. Those twenty seven books, uh, we have this idea. That you begin entering, you speaking about comfort, about joy, about restoration uh, in reference to the Messiah. We'll come back in just a brief moment. 340 9585. Stay with us. 
Dr. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me, plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. If you lease office, retail, or warehouse space for your business, the last thing you want to do is overpay the landlord. But it happens every day. Hi, I'm Scott McMurray and president of Bottom Line Realty Advisors. We work with business people who want an effective strategy for their next real estate decision. Whether leasing or buying, it affects your bottom line. Your landlord has representation and you should too. Even if you're a good tenant with no plans to move at all, you're the most vulnerable to getting a really bad deal. We only represent our clients, never landlords, so we have no conflict of interest. We stay on your side. Call me, Scott McMurrian, at 210-535-7800, and we'll negotiate from a position of strength. BottomlineRealtyAdvisors.com Bottom Line Realty Advisors We get the landlord off your bottom line Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com There you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com Thanking you for joining us, as always, Jacob, uh, on the phone line with me. And we will continue our conversation him, uh, with him about the book of Isaiah. But first, Jacob, we're going to run over and check out Jerome. He's on our phone lines and would like to have a, has a thought for us. And we want to invite Andrea to give us a call back. We'll get to them as soon as I can finish here with uh, Jerome and get, a, get his comment and his perspective Maybe an answer. He wants to answer that question, perhaps, but also a thought from him. Jerome, I, I hope we have a better phone line this week. We had a little trouble last time. Yeah, we did. I hope you can hear me tonight. Perfectly. You sound great. Good. All right. I think the answer to your question is that uh, I think the, the answer is servant. A suffering servant. Yes, that, it was repeated several times. But it, And I was just reading during the break. I was just reading Isaiah 53, and I, and I understand what Jacob is saying about, uh, you know, uh, and I think there is a legitimacy to seeing the people of Israel in that sense that is talking about God's people and how they suffer, how they also are used uniquely as a, a witness and a, a perspective of, of, uh, of God, the Creator, to all the nations of the world. That, I mean, it's part of his uh, expressed purpose for the, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But at the same time, when you read that chapter, 
It is just astounding how closely it parallels the, the life of Messiah, his suffering, his death, uh, and even to the details of how he kept quiet before his uh, before those who were judging him and so on. It, he was placed into the grave of, of a rich man and so on. It's, it's, it seems almost impossible that you don't think of the, this person, this, the life of Messiah, when you uh, read that passage. It's, it's so very powerful just to read it through, actually. I guess that's why Handel made it part of the Messiah, and uh, it's so celebrated. But maybe, uh, maybe you have a perspective on that. Maybe you have a thought about uh, this idea Really, it's at the very core, isn't it? It's at the very core of the re- redemptive plan that God has for humanity, that he always planned to make atonement uh, so that uh, sinful, fallen human beings could still, uh, by their choice of faith, trust in God, and, and through the work of the redemptive work of Messiah, we, we could uh, be made right with God. Uh, uh, tell me what it, it's an... I'm, I'm actually overwhelmed sometimes, Jerome, by by the beauty of, of this redemptive plan, you know, the, the gospel, the good news that the Bible presents. I just, I'm just so amazed how perfect it is and how, uh, you know, just astounding it is. God's ama- I guess that's why they call it amazing grace, right? But give us a thought on it from, from your perspective as you think of the big picture of, of God's plan to send a redeemer, a savior, a messiah, and uh, is that what you see in this passage or in this book of Isaiah? Or And, and tell me a little bit about how you, uh, you how, how you approach that, how you see that particular theme. Uh, uh, remember, we're looking at this with lenses that are 2,000 years, 3,000 years after the, That's right. the prophet wrote these words. Uh-huh. Can you hear me? Yes, I do, very clearly. Okay. Uh, and, and, the, and the thought is that it is, is all of God's, plan uh, involved just one individual. It's everything in his plan just representing the one person. Does this one person represent God's plan? Uh, I think I think if you go back uh, to the story of David, because uh, the whole concept of the Messiah is that he is the son of David. Mm-hmm. And we remember the story where David faced, he faced Goliath. And we know that uh, no one wanted to fight him except this one shepherd boy. And the shepherd boy stood alone. He, he was the man in the middle. Uh, the Hebrew word for a champion is Ishashamea, which means the man in the, in the middle, between the two armies. Mm-hmm. And at the time that David uh, stood before Goliath, he represented all of Israel. Mm-hmm. He was God's representative for the whole nation. So he, either he lived or died, depended on, on whether... Uh, Israel was going to succeed. And and that same concept is that uh, Israel is also representative to the whole nation based on one individual. Mm-hmm. And and we see that uh, that uh, this uh, it, it just kind of falls in place where one can represent the many. It doesn't mean that he is uh, outside the camp. He is Israel. He represents the whole nation. All the tribes are representative in David. Mm-hmm. And same thing, all the tribes are representative in uh, this uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, yes. That's so interesting. Uh, And I agree with that 100%. And I think that's part of the point that Jacob was making, although I don't need to speak for him. He's on the line with us. But the idea is that there are there are many messiahs in a sense. Moses, in a sense, was one who stood in the gap and stood uh, 
uh, uh, there are many messiahs who continually were used of God as a picture of redemption, a picture of salvation, both for the nation uh, and, of course, indirectly to, because as the nation went, so went, uh, Jesus was could only be that messiah because Israel survived, because Israel kept alive, and because the lineage of Abraham and Jacob and the Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob stayed alive, and, and God provided heroes to deliver them. And, and so, so there's picture after picture after picture, uh, example on top of example on top of example, uh, and uh, as we come to the Messiah, capital M Messiah, who actually did that suffering and dying on our behalf. Jacob, I, I'm sure you want to jump in here. I'm, I'm guessing you're eager to yeah. add to our discussion. Yeah, sure. A- actually, Sophia, your question number six uh, references a man named uh, Cyrus. Cyrus. Uh-huh. And and in the, in, in the Bible, it actually calls him, as you said, you said with a small, I mean with a large M for Messiah. So they call him, let's say, with a small M for Messiah, but actually refers to Cyrus as a Messiah. And he was not even um, Jewish, not of the people of Israel. Uh, he was used as a way to, to save, to, uh, uh, what, what's what I'm trying to say, protect, in a way, the, the redemptive plan of God through and with the, the people of Israel as well. well so we learned God, he, he, was God, he was God's instrument 150 years before he was born, uh, or at least 100 years before he was born, that he's named, called out by name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, this is even before Cyrus uh, was even born. Uh, the other thing I find fascinating is that the word ma- uh, Messiah or Mashiach, it- it's a Hebrew word for anointed. Yes. Those who are anointed, anointed of God. Uh, King Saul, uh, you know, David did not want to touch God's anointed or God's Messiah. So the whole concept of God's anointed is is the is the whole theme of what the word means. The word Christian is the Greek word for Mashiach. So Christians are anointed ones, followers of the anointed mm-hmm. one. And all of us together, those who know and follow and trust in the God of Scripture, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, we make up, in my view at least, we make up uh, spiritual Israel, the people of God around planet Earth, those who... No, and I don't know who, I don't know which one individuals are people of God. Only God knows that. He knows the heart of every individual. But uh, there, there's only one redemptive plan, only one Savior by which all of us uh, would be made right with God. But then uh, it, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. I, I, I found it astounding. Jerome, do you mind? I, I'm going to let you go here. We've got another caller on. Let me get, let Jerry Another, I don't know if he might be a Jerome as well, but I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much, you guys. Uh, have a good evening, and uh, and God bless. Thank you, brother. Good to hear from you. Let's go and visit now with, uh, let's go over oh, Let's go visit with Jerry. I don't know, if, Jerry, are you a Jerome? I can barely or hear you. can barely hear you. Are you a Gerald or a Jerome? or? <laughs> well, no, this is Jerry. Uh, I've called in a few times in the past. I haven't been in touch with you in a few days. Sorry. Good, no, <laughs> Life good to hear from busy. you. Don't apologize. We're glad yeah. to hear you. Yeah, I can barely hear you, though, for some reason. You're All right. I'll, so speak, I'll speak now, loudly well, right into my well, microphone. Now, let me do this uh, and interrupt if I may. Soapy, everybody, I, too, am having difficulty hearing. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we'll have to do something about that. Let's see. Um, I'll, I'll but I can hear you again. enough. I can hear you just barely, just as long as my grandson in the back seat will keep quiet. Okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, if I turn it up a little bit, I can make that, Is that a little better? That's better. 
That's right. better. That's better. Talk yeah, to us, Jerry. You. Tell us what's on your well, mind. Well, I, I, I heard you. I picked up, and I hadn't been in touch with it for a while. I was busy till this afternoon, evening, and I picked up, and you were talking about atonement, and that's very, very interesting. Uh, just the thought of how many things that we, we take as tradition, and because we've been taught traditions of men rather than traditions of God, we don't catch all the, the nuances of what God is trying to do, the way he's trying to work. Yes. And uh, obviously the atonement, the, the, you know, the Day of Atonement, for example, was picturing, uh, you know, being brought back together, being brought to one with, with God, and also the guilt and the sin being placed on, on Satan, uh, you know, like the, the goat, and so on. But exactly. all, the, all, the, all of the holy days, everything that... that God has, has set out there. He actually did call them my Sabbaths. Yes. And he had, and it's identifying who he is. And our tradition goes back to paganism, to Mithraism, and, and uh, Constantine's, uh, his approach. What's interesting, a lot of people think Constantine was a Christian, but everything indicates just the opposite. Uh, he uh, had a, a monument in Rome. He didn't have a single Christian symbol on it. He had the Mithra coin on the back of his uh, official coins, and also he didn't make uh, Christianity the official Roman uh, religion. He said Christianity, just like all the other religions uh, that honored their God, I want to honor every one of them too, basically is what he's saying, but he will honor all these other gods, but he said, you have a right now to honor them, you have a right to not be persecuted. That's all he did. But well, that, that, was, that, was quite, ways, that was quite a good thing for the people of that time, but I, I see what you mean, yes. Yeah, and so what happened, unfortunately, is that, that uh, now he was a Mithraist, and he also was the one in the, with the Council of Laodicea, interesting connection there. The what's word, that, what's that the word council. you're using, Jerry? You said myster, mysterious? Oh, oh, no, it's uh, Mithraism. Mithraism. Mithra was the sun god. Okay. And he he was the, and he was represented his he he had a lot of beliefs that were similar. He, he representation his his people were baptized. Uh, he supposedly had the cross for a symbol. Uh, there were there was one image that was found of him in Caesarea that people that they oh that must be Jesus because he was born on December twenty fifth and all of these other things. And uh, in reality, Mithra is a false Jesus, and he was absorbed into the Roman Church. And the, the doctrines of the Roman Church, and that has become a eleven that leaven us, eleven our beliefs and our thoughts about uh, what who Jesus is, what he is. That is and true. We kind of missed the point. Yeah, we, we missed the point because he is the same God. You know, it says by him all things were created. Without him, not anything was made that was made. Well, that being the case, uh, he was the one that when the you know was was creating all these things, and on the seventh day he rested. And yes. he fell on the hallow the sanctified the Sabbath. So he was Jesus himself in his uh, you know, his uh, position as being the one God. He says I'm God, he is God, and is manifested in that way. He is the one that that, that set, put the Sabbath in place. And that's a sign for him. Now uh, in reality, a sign for Mithra, who is also a representation of, of Satan, who with all these uh, Babylonian mystery religions that they would you know change snake skins one for another, but they'd still be the same. Satan had almost similar traditions. Uh, you know, they called um, Ish, Ishtar or Semiramis, uh, also known as Easter. All the concepts that would have to do with these uh, religions, pagan holidays and things like that, that is not representing, representing God. 
and what is distressing us to me, I guess, but that's distressing, I think, more to God because every time we celebrate something that's pagan and we think, oh, it's so wonderful, it's so beautiful, uh, and, and it's so just precious, and oh, it's so lovely, and he says, it stinks to me because it reminds me of the fact that, that these children were slain on, on December 25th, uh-huh. the word Yule, Yule log, for example, Yule meant the baby that was going to be slain. That's, that was a word they used for, for the child. Oh, and uh, I was, it was like that. And then also the, the, the priest of Baal would also impregnate uh, virgin girls, uh, and they would raise these babies so that each season, yeah. one, one season during, the, during the, the, the blood season would be, or the burning season would be uh, during the December 25th period, that, that area there, in honor of Nimrod. <laughs> you know the story about Nimrod. Yeah. He rebelled against God. Mm-hmm. And you start adding all these pieces together and all this paganism, <laughs> and you realize, hey, that is, that doesn't, that's not, that's not speaking for God. And the churches have absorbed all that, and, and God is not, he, it's, it's not what he wants. I mean, his heart is not after things like that. It's only reminding, you see it reminding me, he says, look, you, there's one place he says, you stick a branch up to my nose. Well, the obelisks, steeples, all this stuff is the same stuff. Well, we, we you've said a lot there, and uh, there's no doubt about it that the scriptures, the scriptures, I, 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 I tell folks all along, all the time, the scriptures are messy. Uh, it's not like it's, you know, everybody lives happily after after and everything is pretty and nice. And like I said at the beginning of this program, we live in a a world where good and evil coexist. There are believers, there are non-believers, there are people in process. Uh, And so it's messy. And, of course, the, the Bible reflects that. Human history reflects the messiness of life. And the Bible actually is very, very true to life. It, I asked someone this morning, why is the Bible so important to us? And one lady raised her hand and said, because we can all see ourselves in it. You know, and in some ways we can. We can see our own selfishness, our own weaknesses and so on. But there's faith and there's longing toward God and love. toward. And there's there's the consistency of God himself throughout the scriptures is the beautiful thing that that he's always there loving, forgiveness, forgiving, uh, atoning, uh, work. He's not sort of a great grandfather in the sky, though. He 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 judges. He limits sin. He in his people. He's shaping us and molding us. Uh, Jacob, what what do you? How do you respond to what Jerry has mentioned here? This you're our you're our most gifted historian. I mean, I know some things, and I've studied church history and world history and so on, and Constantinople and all this sort of thing. Uh, that is his understanding there of Constantinople. How how true? Does that ring to you, and uh, how would you uh, respond to Jerry's remarks there? Oh, I got to bring you up. There you are, Jacob. Okay, yeah, because I kept saying hi, Sophie. Hi, Sophie. You are doing great. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, Sophie. Yeah, and I'm familiar, as Jerry's saying, with Mithros. In fact, uh, there was a subsequent guy named Tammuz, and he actually is mentioned in the Book of Ezekiel. And some of the things Jerry's talking about actually becomes his. Uh, acquired symbols of worship. But the fact that uh, some people or some false gods by man selection has selected to use some of the other things uh, that maybe God is using doesn't invalidate God's choices. It just means that they're just copying him and trying to cloak their own type of religion in the uh, official uh, Jesus of what uh, 
what actually God had chosen. The deceiver, and, the deceiver is still deceiving, isn't he? He's still lying yeah. and, and creating counterfeit. Well, and, and actually, there is something that's very. Let's let's take for example, chapter fifty-three, and let's one hundred percent for purposes of our conversation say it's one hundred percent. Certainly, it was talking about Israel, but it's talking about the future Messiah, and there are Jewish scholars that say that. But if we accept that, and that's fine. Have you looked at chapter fifty-six? And that's what I want to get to because there's something else that is required in 56. Yes. Do you have your Bible handy with me? Sure. I have it with me. Great. In 56, in verse, uh, starting at verse uh, 6, it says this. It says, and, now I'm going to, I'm translating it from the Hebrew, so if somebody might get a little bit better, but the way I'm reading it is, as for the foreigners, in other words, the not, people not of national Israel, um, who attach themselves to God to serve him, to love God's name, and to be his servants, and whoever keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, I will bring him to my holy mountain and rejoice in my holy prayers. His burnt offerings will be and sacrifices will be accepted favorably on my altar. My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Yeah. Now, every, everybody's familiar with that verse about mm. a house of prayer for the nations. Yeah. However, let's take a look at what it's saying. And, I, and I'm just throwing it out there for your comments and your thoughts because it's always fascinating because certainly if 53 is accepted, which we can say it is, then 56 would have to be accepted too. And it says his Sabbaths must be kept by those that join into his mm-hmm. uh, into his covenant, and I, and I, I I don't have, I'm just interested in your thoughts because we know today that many people don't feel that way, except if 53 is correct, and I think it is, and then 56 also must be correct. And so, I, and I'm sure you got your Bible, then you can see what I'm saying. There is a requirement that those attach themselves to God keep his festivals, his days, his Sabbaths. Now, when he says Sabbaths, he's not just talking about uh, Saturday. He's talking about his uh, holy days of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, that kind of stuff. I think that's what Jacob had mentioned. uh, I mean, uh, Jerry had mentioned that as well. Yeah, so it's there. And I'd be interested in hearing your comment. And just your thoughts. I'm just throwing it out there because it certainly does say that. And I've often found that interesting that it says, okay, Let's, let's say it's 100% about the Messiah, Jesus, then certainly it says who would attach to God would keep his Sabbaths. In that chapter and, fix, 56, over that's not just one time, over and over again, uh, verse 2, blessed are those who honor my Sabbath, days of rest, and keep themselves right. from doing wrong. Verse uh, 4, I will bless those uh, eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy, who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. Uh, and then, of course, you read verse 6. So it, it is a repeated theme, the idea that it we is. honor the days of God, the honor, we honor, uh, the keep those, uh, those, those, mark those days. Now, I, I, I'll be honest, I don't know exactly. I'm not uh, the, the theologian in the, that will just decide these things uh, for everybody. Uh, there is this that we do think, I understand, that we see 
uh, Jesus and his work that he in a sense, has become, perhaps that's where they get this idea that the Messiah himself has become our Sabbath day, our rest. In him, uh, according to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, he is our Sabbath, he is our rest. And in him we are keeping that time. And and I could uh, wax a little more eloquent and philosophical about that in the sense that uh, the idea of the Sabbath day of rest is is that we don't become earthbound. It's it's a constant reminder from day to day, week to week, that uh, this world is not the end uh, end all and be all of our creation, of our existence, but that the real fulfillment of us as human beings, as spiritual beings, is, is found in God alone. And that's this constant reminder that uh, it's not all about commerce and enterprise and business and making money. Uh, there, that we, There's this constant, weekly, continual reminder that life is about God and, and spiritual. We are spiritual beings who... Uh, you know that need God and, and we honor Him. So, so there could be that in the sense that Messiah is our fulfillment of that command, that requirement. But I, I don't know. Jerry may have a thought as well, well about well, that. Well, it's interesting. It's an interesting thing. A lot of people don't realize uh, that happened. As I said, Mithraism uh, kind of disappeared from the scene after the Catholic Church was there. I mean, Roman Catholic Church. I'm not being critical, except I'm just saying this is the fact that it basically took over Mithraism and Mithra, Mithra disappeared. But but here's something very important. Uh, uh, but here's something very important. Uh, the Catholic Church themselves have said from Genesis to Revelation, uh, throughout the whole Bible, no matter where you look, the apostles authorized, Jesus authorized only the Sabbath. He said, we, the Catholic Church, we were the bride of Christ. We are, had to the authority in our evidence and we have the authority to change Sabbath to Sunday. Is, is, is who we are, and that proves who we are. We're the bride of Christ. We have to break away for just a moment. We can come back, and you can give us a call, 340-9585. We'll be back and continue our conversation in the book of Isaiah. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. And we are back. Uh, We need a Savior. We need a Redeemer. We need a Messiah. We need a hero, a deliverer. That's the theme of that particular song. And, of course, we're talking about that all from uh, the book of Isaiah tonight. And we're discussing the idea, the concept of Messiah, of Redeemer, of Hero, of Savior, of Champion. It's, all of these have been mentioned, these ideas that come, and that uh, there are other champions. There are other Messiahs uh, spoken of. Even uh, uh, King Cyrus of the Persian uh, world was considered was written to be a Messiah, uh, in a sense a Savior of the people of Israel, the people of God there in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. But... Um, it is. Uh, I think it's con- very consistent with the scriptures too that there is a capital M Messiah. There is a definitive. 
there is a Messiah of which all the other Messiahs are are pictures, are types. They they show us the role and the in the function of the Messiah in in his saving qualities, his redeeming, his uh, sanctifying, his purifying character. And we're talking about that. Jacob is on the phone with us, and Jacob yeah. has called in as well to be a part yeah, of this hey, so, so could I, uh, Yeah, so could I uh, sure, just Jacob. finish that one little thought I was going to make? Oh, okay, Jacob, sure. Sure, okay. Yeah, I really like what you said, and that's why I threw it out there. Now, I've heard that before, and Sophie, you may be 100% right. That may be the answer that, uh, for the you know, from a Christian thought, that Jesus being uh what he is that we learn the characteristics etc and he, by uh dealing with him worshiping him uh then his idea would be that he would be keeping the sabbaths so the way you explained it i i think it's a good explanation and that very well could be the answer but before we go on there's something i really want to point out that's very unique in chapter 53 okay. that even in the Jewish understanding, is absolutely unique, and it's the only place it occurs in the uh, what we call the Old Testament, the Jewish Tanakh, uh-huh. and it's in 53, 4, and 5. And those are the only two verses that uh, the scholars say, and as far as I know is correct, that actually suggest in the Jewish thought of something called vicarious atonement. Uh-huh. Yes. And, of course, you're familiar with that because the idea is that Jesus died for people's sins, correct? Yes, the idea of vicarious or substitutionary atonement, yes. Okay. And these are the only two verses that the sages throughout the ages uh, actually say. It's verse 53, 4, and 5. And it's fascinating because they actually, uh, the real Jewish scholars, will, they say, that these are the only two verses that they can find that actually, without going into a picture, uh, you use the word type. I would rather, you, for me, I'm more comfortable using the word uh, demonstrating characteristics and traits to be expected by the Messiah. Yes, uh-huh. Because it's not just a picture or a type. I think it's an actual thing, not a type. The quality must be presented as a living, breathing quality, shall we say, before the person appeared. Not just the type, but the quality itself had to be something existing in the world. But, and so what's fascinating is all the scholars will will tell you that 4 and 5, those two verses, and certainly you can read them if you like, Uh but those are considered to be the only verses in the Jewish Tanakh, uh, that's what we call the Old Testament, and those are the only ones to actually say something for vicarious atonement, because generally speaking, from Jewish thought, vicarious atonement it doesn't really happen. Each person has to pay their own price for their own sins. And there is a sense so, in which, uh, I think you have mentioned this before, there is a sense in which that is true. Uh, in the idea of, of, of death and the idea of that if, uh, you know, the wages of sin is death, uh, the soul that sins that shall die, there is a sense in which death is that penalty of our sin, and we do pay that penalty uh, ourselves. Uh, but the idea is that he has taken our death. Upon, he who knew no sin became sin for us, and that he's taken our sin upon himself. That's a, kind of the theme of 53. And you have these two verses. I'll read those. It says... Uh, oh, let me back up a little bit. 
Uh, he, uh, oh, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot and so on. But there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. And then you come to verse 4. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to our own way from God's paths. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And it goes on. It's just uh, an astounding chapter. I mean, it's just beautiful uh, talking of a God of grace and mercy and tenderness and, and redemption. Uh, it, it's a, just a beautiful chapter no matter how you read it. But, but the, of course, we see in that, you know, continue, we just see uh, not only all these saviors, all the redemptive work of God throughout history, uh, but in particular we see this, this one, this suffering servant. Uh, uh, the Messiah who is pointed to. It, it is, it, it is pure, truly beautiful, the, the redemptive plan of God. And, and I want to ask you this, Jacob, in, in terms of what you just said about uh, substitutionary or vicarious atonement um, and, and, and paying uh, another who takes the penalty of our sin upon himself, uh, it, isn't that also pictured? I mean, of course, here it's clearly expressed. The concept is expressed very clearly there's one who takes another one's place and his uh, by his stripes we are healed and so on but isn't the concept of substitutionary atonement isn't that the basis of the sacrificial system um i i uh, i'm gonna maybe for the purposes of the audience maybe you could explain first of all what vicarious atonement is so if people don't know what we're talking about but sometimes we tend to get off in these arguments and use those terms, and perhaps other people don't know. So if you'd like to, you could maybe, if you don't mind, explain sure. that a little bit. But And the answer is, the question is, uh, on some points, yes, on some points, no. Hmm. Well, I, I would but, say that I, I went with a friend of mine to Mongolia a number of years ago, and we were part of uh, a number of tri- journeys there, a number of trips, and helping to bring the message of the gospel to uh, that nation, which had been closed for many, many decades, actually, 70 or 80 years. Uh, And when the uh, Soviet empire began to crumble at the end of the 80s, Mongolia opened up. And I had been praying for that country for many years as a believer and just had chosen to pray for them because they were where they say most Native Americans, a lot of our Western tribes at least, came from Mongolian ancestry. And so I had been praying for that country, and I was given the privilege of going over a number of times to uh, share and teach and train and, and help uh, with the, you know, the infant church that w- blossomed uh, back in that era. And I remember this uh, evangelist that I went with one time. I was doing a lot of music and singing, and he, I would gather a crowd with music and singing, and he would, um, you know, he would preach. And here we are talking to people who really are not familiar at all. The, the Bible did not exist in their language. They do not know about uh, Israel and, and uh, the entire connection, the, the, the total idea of the redemptive plan of God and so on. So you are talking to people. Of course, they understand the concept of the creator, of God, and so on. But uh, And that's one of the pictures that my friend Sammy 
uh, Sammy Tippett here in San Antonio. Sammy used that in his preaching, just the very simple idea that uh, of a child one time who who uh, deserved uh, uh, discipline, deserved uh, a spanking or, or uh, uh, punishment for something he had done wrong, and then how another child who ha- was innocent and had not done anything uh, volunteered to take his place and to uh, uh, take his punishment so that because he, he was wounded and hurt and he felt you know compassion for him. And in its very simplest form, that's the idea, is that, Someone came and took our punishment instead of us, took our sin, and so that we then could be uh, forgiven. Our, that God's justice is fulfilled. You know, His judgment does fall. Uh, his, his holiness, His justice is is satisfied. That He judges sin, and yet at the same time, it's a full expression of His love and mercy and tenderness as well. So that's the idea of substitutionary atonement in its simplest form. Someone took our place, took our punishment so that we could be, uh, our sin could be expunged and forgiven, paid for, and then we are free to be reconciled then and to be made right with God. I guess that's the simplest way I can explain it. It's, it's far more complex if you go into the theology of it and you think deeply about we're talking about God, the creator of the universe. We're talking about his holiness, his character being satisfied and all. But but the, the redemptive plan seems to satisfy all of those. And it's based on uh, substitutionary, the idea of substitutionary atonement. And my question to you was, uh, if this passage in Isaiah 53 is the only one that actually overtly refers to that concept, uh-huh. was asking, uh-huh. does it, the sacrificial system, the lambs and the goats and the bulls and uh, were they not pictures of that when the priest would put his hands on the on the head of the penitent man or person and then he would yeah, yeah. That's transfer actually, to the head of the lamb or whatever? Yeah, that's actually something, a great uh, comparison, a great analysis, and a great question. Because at first blush, it would certainly seem to be that way. And I can prove where you're getting that. And that's a great question, in fact, that... Uh, it's something that maybe the regular person just in the regular conversation might not even come up with. Uh, and except when we plug in some other facts, uh-huh. uh, each person, uh, there was a national animal, of course, and see a blemish. You know, they didn't have the Internet back then. <laughs> so, we, uh, so we had to, uh, so they had to have something that was a visual age, you might say, that people could look at. So you would have, uh, so when people saw an animal, each person, each individual person brought their own animal, let's say a lamb, depending on what kind of thing you're doing, let's say a lamb. And so that lamb didn't have a blemish. A blemish would be equivalent to a sin. And so when that animal that represented, in a, in a sense that you're alluding to, uh, was burnt up, the smoke coming up would represent, since there was no sin on him, no blemish, it really just represented that that was like the picture of the idea, a word picture, you might say, of the soul ascending to heaven. Uh-huh. And so there was one for the national and but one individual, and even at temple times, uh, and you'll see in chapter one of Leviticus, it says each person must bring from their own herd. Right. So they're they're doing it themselves. Yes. So so you could analogize as you're saying that it's symbolic of that, 
or maybe it's symbolic of each person mm-hmm. uh, because God had outlawed you know human sacrifice back at the time uh, of uh, Abraham and Isaac. I know that because Isaac was not killed, I know people look at that a little differently depending on what school you come from but uh, but the truth is is that we know where we know Isaac walked away. And, uh, and so that was what the Jews have always understood, that God does not want human sacrifice. He doesn't want that. He wants each person to repent. And so um, they substituted the animals. And, um, and so in the animal, so in that sense, yes, it took the place, but it took the place of the individuals as the way they perceived it. And they were seeing a picture of basically how it worked. There's no blemish, no sin. Your soul goes right to heaven, you see. Exactly. And you referred there to um, to Isaac in the sense that, remember, that God had said to Abraham, go and take your son to this mountain mm-hmm. and and uh, offer him up. And, and Abraham mm-hmm. was obedient to do that, was willing. And mm-hmm. then God, uh, the famous story of, of God uh, kept him from fulfilling from doing it, although he was willing, and uh, <laughs> provided mm-hmm. another sacrifice uh, in the idea there, a substitute, you know, who, where will we find the lamb? God will provide. A- and I was just looking here in the book of Hebrews that he tells that story. He says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. So there was a, there was a conflict there that uh, Abraham knew that Isaac was a son of promise. He had been promised this son, and, and in his old age, miraculously, they had a child to carry on his legacy, his, uh, his uh, uh, descendants through Isaac. And, yet, and then God turns around and tells him to go sacrifice him. And, and so... It says here, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in, uh-huh. a, sense, and in a sense, it says God, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. And just as you said, Abraham, Isaac did walk away from the altar. Uh, he was alive. And, and, uh, and so here in Hebrews, it talks about that being a picture, too, of that of mm-hmm. Messiah who walked away from uh, the grave and so on. It, 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 I see what you're saying, and I'm not sure... Frankly, uh, as my grandson would say, I, I, one of the one of the characteristics of my three and a half year old grandson is that if you say to him, uh, "Will, do you want chocolate or do you want vanilla?" He'll say, "I want chocolate and vanilla." <laughs> he has yeah. learned very early how to negotiate, and he never gets himself backed in the corner of having to choose between two good things. He wants them both. Yeah. And so maybe, maybe what we have here is a uh, of a is a, a case of well, you're both right. You're all right. There are these pictures throughout the scriptures on, at every level. Mm-hmm. There are there well, are very yeah, so teachings and yeah. there are symbolic uh, uh, yeah. pictures of these truths throughout the scriptures over and over. That is true. That is true. In fact, remember when Isaac walked away. It said uh, that there was a ram caught by his horns yes. there, a thicket, right? Yeah. And, and so I said, oh, have, Father, where are we going to find a, a sacrifice? Where will we find uh, an animal to sacrifice? Yeah. Uh-huh. So that's uh, so you do have that picture there, but I'm going to tell you something that you may not have ever heard before, but I promise you 
I have confidence you're going to love it. You ready? <laughs> All right, I'm ready. Uh, I trust the you. knife. I trust you, John. Huh? I trust you. Okay. Uh, I'm going to love right. it. The knife that Abraham was holding, and here's an example of the word picture, you might say, and a symbolic picture. Because okay. the knife that was he was going to plunge into Isaac, it actually has a name in the Hebrew. That knife actually comes from the same Hebrew word that makes up the word Bethlehem. And, really? and also is used in the word bread. Fascinating. fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. And so, and now let's talk about the symbolism. You see, the sword, at that moment, all the future generations was, shall we say, in the body of Isaac. That's right. And, and that knife, that sword, and that's actually got a name, uh, was hanging over the, uh, uh, the, the Isaac. And Isaac represents Israel. So, therefore, a knife will always represent be hanging over you, Isaac, Israel, but I will never let it happen. I've made a covenant. I've made a promise. There will be these things we're talking about in Isaiah. It's hanging over you. You'll be threatened by it, let's say, but I will never let that death come. That's the picture. Yeah, exactly. That is the idea, the concept of substitutionary or vicarious atonement, and it seems to be clearly... It seems to be, as you read the Hebrew Scriptures, as you lead up, uh, that it seems to be a constant teaching that the uh, not only the, the, the New Testament says the wages of you know, the book of Romans, Paul lays it out, the, the wages of consequences of sin is death, uh, uh, spiritual death, uh, you know, physical death and so on, uh, separation from God and the idea in the Hebrew Scriptures, the soul that sins, it shall die and so on. And we have this. This picture very consistently, uh, I, I tell you, if 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 Jesus wasn't that long-awaited promised Messiah Redeemer, and if if, if this was just kind of uh, in a sense invented, you know, it, it wasn't invented out of out of whole cloth. It, it certainly it certainly appends just really, really closely to what we, there seems to be a seamless, there's a, there's no gap between the Hebrew presentation, the Hebrew scriptures, the Tanakh, and moving on into the New Testament. There seems to be a very clear transition, uh, and, and, and if he's not, then I don't think it's some kind of a clever invention. The concepts are there. I, I, it's it's astounding to me, really, truly. That I guess that's one of the things that surprises me as a young a Native American, Apache Indian, a young you know young Gentile with no. Uh, it, it, when I began to hear the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Creator God, and the fall of man, and the redemptive plan of God to purchase our redemption, it it was just not only was it beautiful and attractive to me inherently, as, just as a human being, the idea of a God who loves me, who purchased my redemption Himself, and all. But as I read the scriptures, it just seemed almost seamless. That's one of the things about the Bible. That, and, and, of course, uh, about the idea of Jesus being the Messiah. It's either the most incredible deception ever created because it, it is so close. Nothing nothing parallels it. Nothing 
even comes close to equaling the way it pitchers and it comes to showing a fulfillment of uh, pictures that we get out of the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, boy, it sure is. It's an amazing deception if it's not the truth. It's he he was an astounding person, and uh, I I don't know that the whole idea of atonement and substitutionary atonement is so powerful. Uh, I find, like I said, our, my friend that taught that simple message in Mongolia, you would think that uh, in Mongolia that the people had never heard there would be. I remember we 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 set up in a in a park, uh, Jacob. We were in a public park there, and I I began singing and. Uh, soon there were a thousand, two thousand people gathered, and the children and families, and 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 uh, then Sammy came up, and in in half an hour through translation, he told this simple story of of uh, uh, the little boy who took the takes the place of the other one, and then he explained that that's what God has done for us. God has sent His Son who took our punishment and for our sin, and we can be made right with the Creator, with God, uh, by trusting in His Son and, and receiving by faith receiving him in our hearts and lives and beginning to walk and experience, live with God you know, from day to day and obey him and trust him. And and I know we had a little space uh, created at the front of the stage. This was an outdoor stage. We had roped out a little area that we thought, well, uh, when we were going to give an invitation, we're going to invite those who want to know God and are willing to trust in, uh, in, in uh, Yeshua, the Messiah, as his Savior, and trust in his work on their behalf. We... You know, like Billy Graham does, we created, we said, come down front and we'll, we'll pray with you and help you to, and we have some materials for you to, to help you grow in your walk with the Lord and all. And when the time came uh, uh, for them to make their move and to, by coming forward to indicate their willingness to trust in Christ and begin to walk with God, the, the surprising thing was that the whole crowd moved forward. It wasn't just five or six or 10 or 20 or 50, it was the whole crowd just moved. <laughs> We were astounded. And, and I guess the reason I'm telling the story is not so much it, it's a beautiful story and how God was faithful. I, I could tell more about it to help us uh, connect with all of them and help them grow. But the point is, is that even even people who have never heard, who know very little about the scriptures, about God's message and so on, that simple illustration of, of someone who was willing to take he who knew no sin became sin for us. You know that he was—he took our place for our stripes. By his stripes we are healed, and all that simple illustration uh, is one of the most attractive, one of the most beautiful, powerful forces I think in the In your verse uh, fifty-three, twelve. How does that read? Let me get back to it. I was up in Hebrews. Let me—I'll get back to it real fast. Oh. Um, okay. But that is a powerful concept that that, uh, in, that comes out in this. This whole idea of substitution, fifty three twelve. It's yes, says, sir. Uh, we've only got a minute or so left. I want to give you a time. I will give him honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Huh. Interesting. Well, I hear it. Tell me well, what's in your heart, there, your mind there. Sometimes they're numbered differently, most time not. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the nations, uh-huh. and he will receive the mighty as his spoil. Yes, yes. Anyway, so I'm just thinking there may be another way, of, even a broader way of looking at this, because sure. the word that's there is uh, the nations. Yeah. So 
So maybe, you know, maybe we should be brought in mind to say, well, Jesus was in the chapter given for the nations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those, right. those verses talk about he will bear their sins. Uh, he bore the sins of many. Well, we've got to go for the Bible week. Life. See you next week, folks. Join us again for the Bible Life. To our culture. And it's brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on the Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on the The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.